Hey, hi everyone. Thank you so much for listening to Beyond Eight Figures. This is AJ, the journeyman entrepreneur with another Beyond Eight Figure episode for you. On the show, we talk with top entrepreneurs about the realities of building an eight-figure business, what success really means to them, and hear from them about some of their winning strategies and tactics. Tune in to each episode to learn how to grow your business beyond 10 million, and more importantly, create your own personal legacy. Hey everyone, welcome back. Today we're talking with Sartu Dubal of Enlightened Ed, and I'm really excited to have her here on the show. She has this wonderful background um, before starting Enlightened Ed with her partners. She was an entrepreneur residence at Antler. She worked at, she has a senior role over at Oracle, and she has this great sales engineering background. So really really great corporate background coming into that entrepreneurial space. Um, kind of fun to sometimes look at people with different backgrounds and how she came in and did. So that's going to be a fun thing to discuss today. I think also just her passion for educational systems and what Enlightened is trying to do for educational systems, school systems, uh, as Americans tend to think of it. Um, and different universities, and we'll kind of talk about where they're bringing in these tools and the type of uh, customers and the relationships they're building for the longer term. So it's going to be a lot of fun to kind of go into this. Um, you know, she's the co-founder and CCO of Dead, and which is a two-end virtual tutoring platform that basically provides this learning environment, bringing in some AI, different other option opportunities to kind of enhance the educational system. I really like, you know, some of the conversation I think is going to be very useful for people who've come from a more corporate background compared to either a startup or sort of a bootstrapping background because Sartu has this wonderful corporate background and her her discussion of how that transition in the world changed for her is something to really kind of take into consideration as we go through our own efforts. Um, I like how she talks a little bit around how more uncertain the opportunity, the obstacles and the opportunities are for startup world, because usually when you're in a corporate role and you're going out to customers, clients, you know, et cetera, they have a stronger understanding of what you are providing and what your company is also usually has more focused. She talks a little bit and about playing into the chaos. And that's a really cool, fun thing about having patience and developing continuous learning, not just for your own self and your team, but also for your potential clients that you're educating them around what is possible and then you know, playing and making the most of what the chaos is in your space as things are evolving. I mean, right now, I'm, I mean, sorry, but imagine being able to provide a learning system in the middle of all the AI that's going on, the, in, the advancement of AI technology right now. That's going to be amazing, and it's going to be so groundbreaking if they can land it right. So this is really kind of cool to talk about. Um, I like how she also kind of 
brings in the importance of building your team into this kind of chaos uncertainty. So therefore creating a stronger foundation to deal with chaos. I talk a lot uh, or I find very interesting with a lot of entrepreneurs that setting the foundation, you know, being able to do the basic work of what we're supposed to do. So that way, when the opportunities come, luck, et cetera, however you want to define it, you're in position to better take advantage. And that's really cool how Sochi will talk about the importance of the team and what she does to build her team into that. Um, then also just how she talks a lot about being herself as the entrepreneur, not trying to define herself as sort of this always on the 24 seven sort of approach. She's, she'll talk about the importance she has in being what she believes she is and bringing that to her own entrepreneurial journey. So kind of fun. And then just last, you'll notice a lot, and I think it's kind of fun to just listen to what she talks about, the obstacles, because she'll talk in different areas about obstacles they face. But every time she talks about it, she also will kind of say, these are also the opportunities. Um, and I find that, I find that fun and a learning experience because a lot of times I will go into a situation and other entrepreneurs I've talked to, and when something's difficult, it is just that obstacle right in our face. But when we bring the right attitude, the right mental space and the right just general space to <laughs> that situation, the opportunities start to come to bear. And so too is really interesting in that she will talk about these difficulties, but then like, oh, but it allows us. So just pay a little attention to this. All right, let's go to a very fun conversation. Hello, Sartu. Thank you so much for being on the show today. Hi, AJ. Thank you for having me here. Nice to meet you. Well, I am you know, really excited to kind of dive in, but I'm kind of jealous that you're in Amsterdam because that is such an amazing city. I spent so much time there when I was in grad school and sitting in Copenhagen. I used to uh, go down there regularly for maybe the raves, but yeah, still, <laughs> I miss that city. It's a beautiful city. Yes, it is an amazing city. I, I So before I, I moved to Amsterdam, I actually lived in London for 10 years. I did my studies there and I started my career there. Uh, I mean, oh, London wow. is amazing. Yeah, it's an amazing city. It's very intense so I think for me, Amsterdam really represents also like a good life. Um, it, it offers a life, good life quality that you won't get in other yeah. major capitals. You know, I like the whole idea of getting on your bike and just getting anywhere. It's easy to get anywhere. I think that's the part I like most about Amsterdam. <laughs> yeah, I mean, just I just wandering around. It's the canals, the the different the dense the different styles of buildings, and just the culture. I mean, you turn around and there's like, oh yeah, this, you know, oh yeah, some you know, Rembrandt sat here and kind of did, you know, it's like, oh my god, everywhere you turn, there's something truly amazing when you're around, and it's just, it is laid back. It's sort of like you get yeah. this nice global city that's like, yeah, don't worry. It's okay. You, know, you don't have to you know, kill yourself to enjoy this. No. That's no pressure at all. Very no. jealous. Yeah. <laughs> well, I'm very jealous. Well, you know, 
I was telling the audience a little bit about you know your background and some of the cool things and just my fascination with Enlightened Ed at you know what you're doing there. But before we dive in too much into that, I would love to kind of just you know, now that you know you went through this entrepreneur in residence program and now that you're one of the co-founders here, where do you see yourself as an entrepreneur? Where are you on your own entrepreneurial journey? Yes. That's a very good question. It's it's a question that I've been thinking quite a lot about lately, actually. Uh, so it's mm-hmm. funny the way we started um, with this, um, you know, with Antler, the uh, the startup generator. So it's a little bit, it feels like, you know, with the startup generator, you felt like you had a lot of, um, you were in a very controlled and protected environment uh, for quite some time. Yes. And then... From there, you were a little bit let out in the wild. You were, you know, standing on your own feet. Um, and we've been standing on our own feet for quite some time. Uh, we've had quite a lot of dilemmas uh, as a, you know, the founding team. We were thinking, okay, should we raise funds or not fund uh, or not? Or should we just bootstrap? We did decide to bootstrap. So it's, it even feels mm-hmm. more that you have to really, you know, you're a little bit really out there in the wild on your own. Um, so that I feel like as an entrepreneur, that's where I am right now, to navigate a very chaotic mm-hmm. world, very chaotic environment. Um, like how do you seize opportunities uh, and how do you capitalize on it? So I think uh, that's, uh, and uh, you, you know, like by, by being as self-sufficient as we are, it's also a little bit, you're trying to to do as much as you can with minimal, you know, connections and with yes. uh, any any established network. So it's it's this. Um, uh, I don't want to say survival, but it is. We've been in a survival mode for quite some time, but we're also trying to see. Okay, how can we switch mode a little bit? Like getting into the thriving yeah. mode in a bit. It is. It, it's it's an interesting stage that we are in right now. And as an entrepreneur, I mean, that's, that phase is, it's one of the, in hindsight, it's one of the more fun phases, but in there, it is also one of having gone through there. And (laughs) I always remember feeling like, okay, I know this can work, but like how to choose what is going to create the impact we need what choices where there's just so much in that that focus and trying to understand as you said you know your resources you know your time your effort you know finding that balance to what's going to help you thrive you know that is it's a it's a learning experience because you know i know in my case i kept making lots of mistakes and then eventually finding something but it was like by the time I did, I'd be like, okay, yeah, but later. Yeah. Are you finding the way you approach this sort of uncertainty changing as you experience this? Because I know you had some, you know, really cool corporate experience ahead of this and then the program. But as you go through this period, do you find yourself as, as situations come, as you guys continue to adapt and grow? Do you find 
what you're doing to kind of prepare for the uncertainty changing? Yes, uh, I think. Uh, so I think like we, 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 one thing that we are learning and it is an, uh, an ongoing learning experience. Uh, one thing that we are learning as well is when you are operating with what anything that is um, not mature yet, we are not, as a company, we are not mature. Um, mm-hmm. the, uh, the, our, the innovation that we are developing, the market is not really mature yet. So we are constantly yes. learning how do you approach that. You can, I mean, from the, the corporate world, what we are used to, we are used to, um, you know, targeting established um, markets with and something targets, that is established. Yeah. But now we are, we are like at the other end. How do you, how do you approach? How do you deal with people who are not ready for what you're doing right now? So this is something that we are learning every day. We learn. Uh, we, right now we are start struggling with some institutions who has. Um, you know, like the main challenge is just to, to get the teachers uh, in one room together uh, and uh, and talk to them about our solution, having workshop. And so just, only that step is quite challenging. So for us, it's it's not about you can't you, you can't, you know, like link the growth of the business to people being ready for what you're doing. You have to find other uh, other angles. Like, how do you get there? How do you take those small steps to get where you need to get? And how do you uh, weigh this out a little bit as well? This not ready for the innovation yet. So this is where we're getting a little bit more mature in ourselves right now. If that makes sense. No, it does because... You know, we've seen this with sort of like enterprise where, you know, it was the concept of five, you know, 10 years ago of bring your software to work type of approach where it did seem like there were software solutions, you know, like Slack and all these, you know, small workflow that really didn't make sense in a large enterprise. They made sense in groups, sort of classrooms within larger organizations and then for the end user it made you know i.e the employees back then but now you know your students where it's something that would make the students life and their abilities that much better but the concept is yeah foreign to the organization you know the educational systems you know you and i were just joking and i was kind of complaining about oh my god how structured you know, the education, especially now coming back to the U.S., having been living abroad, how much more structured everything is. So I can see, you know, what are some of the things you are looking to do? Because I notice you do have, you know, some, you do have the ability for students who are taking the WizCat. And I know in the U.S., that's the Wisconsin blah, 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 uh, I forget the Wisconsin educational testing system. I don't know if mm-hmm. that's what it is for you also, but I, for the math, for, I guess the Netherlands math exam for a specific type of math exam, the students have, is that one of the ways yeah. you're trying to, you know, attempt to, you know, 
change it. Yeah. So yeah. So we, uh, as a uh, beachhead market, uh, we actually started mm -hmm. with the. Um, uh, it's a teacher education program. Uh, so students okay. who want to study to become primary school teachers. So here in the Netherlands, okay. uh, the challenge is so there are not enough uh, primary school teachers who are graduating from universities to to address you know the teacher shortage in primary in primary education. And then one of the reasons why there are not enough uh, primary school school teachers who are graduating is because they are just they have they are lacking the math skills. They are not passing passing these exams, and as a primary school teacher, you have to teach all subjects, right, including mathematics. So it's one mm -hmm. of those subjects that you really have to master quite well to be able to be a primary school teacher. So we we did identify this problem uh, together with some teachers. Uh, we did uh, some a little bit of um, uh, brainstorming sessions with them before we developed this uh, curriculum. So, and they are, they specifically asked for this kind of content to help these students with mathematics skills uh, and to pass this exam, which is mandatory in Netherlands. It's called the Viscat. Okay, yeah. So yeah. that's how we started. Uh, okay. But I think it's, it is, a, at least here in Europe, I think it's because we started in Belgium as well, short after that. Uh, and we've identified they have similar issues there or similar challenges with the mathematics skills. Teachers, the, yeah. The, um, yeah, the math skill is where they struggle most. So I think it's a sweet point to focus on. Uh, and we at the moment, we're also exploring how we, can we go, you know, international on this challenge for this particular group to, you know, prepare future teachers with uh, mathematics skills. You know, what was in the U.S. Now, I think there's other issues beyond just education, um, preparing for education in the U.S. for specifically how teachers are valued. But I was just seeing something. It's over 50 percent of the school systems, the school districts, that's how we usually divide ours um, in the U.S., um, yeah. have a staffing shortage, a lack, you know, yeah. not enough teachers, a teaching shortage. And... That is, you know, that's incredible that, you know, you have this map. I think the U.S., we also, not every area, but a lot of areas do not pay and they create rules upon rules. And we were talking about, you know, structure compared to other types of jobs. So talent, a lot, of, you know, people who have talents that could be teachers don't. Yeah. But then just finding skilled teachers, I know. I had looked years ago um, after the first big dot-com crash when I went from being in some agency, you know, oh, we're making all this money, da-da, and boom, <laughs> I'm broke. Um, yeah. I had looked at being a teacher and the fact that I had math, I had a science degree, they, I mean, they were jumping, like, oh my God, da-da, you know. And then I, a really bad tech job came that was offering me twice what the teacher's you know, salary is going to be. So it's yeah, tough yeah, yeah. and just finding that, but then the educational needs of helping teachers or helping people who want to be teachers then expand to be able to provide math because that is so important. I, that's a very cool thing. Are you, 
as you guys kind of identified that and expanding it out internationally, you know, are you changing how you approach, I guess, mostly in Europe, it's country-based, while the U.S., it's usually regional, you know, our regional state by state and sometimes locality by locality, you know, are you sort of adapting how you approach this now that you've identified this as being more of an opportunity than sort of a more general approach with the school systems? So, uh, I mean, we actually, we start, we decided to start in um, higher education. We're focusing on higher education mm-hmm. right now For because that, we feel, yeah. yeah, not only teacher education, but also there's a reason why we are very passionate about teacher education because this whole idea of uh, preparing future teachers, making sure that more teachers, you know, graduate and uh, meet the needs of the job market. Uh, I think that's a very, very interesting uh, problem to address. Uh, and it is, it, it is a higher education challenge. And that's why we start in higher education. I think that it's easier when it comes to higher education, uh, it's easier to find uh, commonalities across borders. I think at school level, the curriculum can differ quite a lot between country to country, whereas higher education, I think this whole, specifically with mathematics, it's, I mean, we don't believe it's going to change that much between countries. I think there's only one way of learning math well um, you know mathematics is an exact science so like developing Mm -hmm. mathematics skills should be a um there should be a universal approach so that's what we are betting on a little bit like at least as an entry um level uh it should be we should be able to um you know find that entry uh, point with any country and any region so I think that's one of the reasons why we were very keen on starting in higher education. And then if we want to move on to other subjects, chemistry, physics, um, economics, the, so the, the platform itself is quite um, curriculum agnostic, um, mm-hmm. subject uh, or language even agnostic. We should be able to move to different regions quite easily. That's the assumptions that we have right now. <laughs> then, of course, we, we started in the UK uh, already, actually, and in Ireland. We don't see two, you know, like two big differences at the moment between teachers, okay. the way they teach at that level of education. So maybe a quick dive into, you know, you've had this corporate background ahead of time yeah. and then you went into why did you go into the program the the entrepreneur in residence program <laughs> yes that's uh, very interesting i think uh so i have thought about uh first like i think on a personal level uh, it is a little bit in my personality you know this this need to be uh autonomous to be um, to be independent. Uh, one thing that I in my behavior previously in the corporate world, one thing that I was very keen on 
it's always, you know, like I, I always had customer facing roles. So for me, it was always about helping customers, um, you know, addressing their needs and uh, problems and, you know, always trying to see, okay, how can I leverage the internal resources to get what my customers need and so on. Um, in doing that, I also I experienced a lot of obstacles, a lot of internal politics, uh, internal challenges just to get things right. Uh, getting things right in the, in the world of corporate is not always an obvious, like it's, it's not something that you can do that easily, strangely enough. You, you most likely you will always step on someone's foot. <laughs> mm-hmm. I, <Yes>. it's, so <laughs> I think that's one of the, one of the motivation and also the, the need of being autonomous. It's what always uh, made me explore the path of entrepreneurship. But at the same time, for you know, there's always a little bit of, you know, uh, something that's just um, holding you back a little bit. You know, you know, you don't, yes. you just don't have the strength and the courage to take the leap. I think for me, the the moment um, a friend of mine actually did the the Stockholm uh, cohort, the Antler cohort, one of the first ones, okay. and she referred me to the program. And when they contacted me and told me about the whole concepts, I just felt it, this is the time really to take that leap. <laughs> yeah. Um. So that's how I started. I think it was also a little bit like a result of a little bit of maybe a personal crisis, maybe, you know, when you just got to a point yeah. where, where change, you yeah. felt, yeah, you felt something has to change. Uh, and, and what, what was happening in, when I was in my previous company, very com typically people just jump from one corporation to another. A lot of people left at that time. And that's something also I wanted to avoid because I knew if I went to another corporation, most likely the same cycle would be repeated. Uh, I wouldn't really experience anything, any radical shifts or anything if I stayed in that world. So the only, I had, this was the, you know, perfect moment to really make that change. When you're in, because a lot of my understanding of EIRs are sort of based on having talked to people in corporate ones and then some of the more the VC back the VC funded back ones where it's either a someone who has experience and is just sort of sitting around and helping with different companies until an opportunity shows up. And mm-hmm. then in the corporate one, it's someone who's trying to support the creation of internal companies out of, you know, company IP or company opportunities. Did you find the part, like one, you talked about it being like a protective environment earlier. Was it helping you, you know, learn what it was going to be? Did you practice entrepreneur or were you working on the creation of enlightened app as part of this or what kind of, what sort of happened for you, you know, during that to then get to enlightened app? Absolutely. I think one thing that was very interesting, although it was a very intense experience, um, one thing that was very useful and valuable about uh, this particular program was the focus was very much uh, on uh, building the team. 
okay. uh, because I think for mo- for many uh, startups or for many entrepreneurs as well, uh, the the incompleteness of the team is one of the main obstacles. It's it's hard to get something off the ground if you don't have the core competences in place uh, from the beginning, because you don't really you're not you just don't have the the means to recruit people. You have to be self sufficient. So I think having a strong team is really an advantage. So I think the program was very good at that. Um, the, this exploring who should you work with to start with. It was a very bumpy and very emotional <laughs> process to get there, to, you know, to meet my co-founders. That's where I met them. Um, okay. And that's that's where we... So I would say... The, the yeah the, the the bit that I experienced mostly in the program is the building the team is not as much um, because how you how you actually work on an idea and how you take an idea off the ground I don't think you can learn that until you really get out there in reality and you know like yes <laughs> <laughs> once you start talking to customers you don't know what you need to do until you do it. Yeah. There's so much the lean methodology canvas, you know, all the different things, but the reality is it doesn't mean anything until you're out there and customers are specifically, specifically that dollar one or currency one, you know, sorry, American. (laughs) Um, (laughs) But that first actual transaction where like, wait, you're going to give me money for this? <laughs> wait, yeah, yeah. is this real? Yes, yes. <laughs> it's like, oh my God. There's, there's economic value in what we're doing. Oh my God. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I, I do have to add also one, one more thing is with, we did actually meet our first uh, early adopters as well through the program. So it is a little bit like cool. sometimes the, the, the program also, it does apart from just building a team, it does provide you with that initial network that you need. You know, that first early adopter who is willing to tell you, okay, this is what's missing in education. There are are a lot of edtech solutions out there and e-learning solutions and so on. But Mm -hmm. these early teachers will actually tell you, this is where we are still struggling and this is where we need a solution. And I think... The worst thing that can happen if you just build an MVP based on you second guessing what your user wants, it would be great. It's very useful if someone actually tells you this is what we need. I think, and that's how we did build an MVP as a result of that interaction with these two uh, teachers that we met through the program. So that's also yeah. definitely definitely valuable. I think that's that's when a a structured program can help a little bit. Yeah, in creating that environment. Yeah. One, to allow you to step out of the world of everything else you need to do to keep going. But then two, yeah, the network of the of the people you can interact and the potential partners, yeah. clients, funding, etc. That's really cool. Absolutely. But you know, as you've talked now that like getting out and changing what types of things now that you're trying now that you're having to adapt to one sort of realizing how organizing you know how educational organizations work 
how you know trying to find that product market fit given you know the different systems and going to you know changing a little bit more to universities and their education of teachers and etc what type of things do you work on for yourself to be able to better adapt to the changes you're seeing in your business you know are you working with a coach are you you know what types of things do you think help you get better as you said you you're changing and adapting what do you think is helping you there yes um i think for us uh, as a team i think we're very we were very close we always make sure that we really like um whatever that's uh on our mind whatever that's um you know, weighing us down, we always make, we really talk about it. Uh, we make sure that we, you know, like clean the system as often as we can, because mm-hmm. it is a frustrating experience. Yeah. But um, in terms of coaching, I think what helps us quite a lot, we have a very close relationship with the customers as well. Like uh, for us, it helps a lot to really get as much insight as possible from from them uh see you know like getting um a real view of on education i think that's the only way we know or we learn how to adjust constantly adjust and adapt to the you know this chaotic world so for us like yeah. uh, most of the insight uh, not coaching per se, but most of the insight and inspiration is coming from customers uh, right now. I think first the early adopters are the ones that are, that are not only enthusiastic, but they're also very, very keen on uh, changing the way they teach, changing the results, the learning outcomes, and just, just like improving education in general. Uh, it's it's something that they're really working towards and they see very clearly how we can add value to their pursuit and to their ambition. So for us, a lot of the inspiration is also coming from them, just uh, listening to them, like how they want to change education because we are not, we are just uh, an enabler. Uh, it's not in our yeah. power to to change education. We just give them the tools to do so. So for us, it's really staying as close as we can to them and just keep listening to them. So for the for the time being, I would say the teachers are our coach. They are. Um, cool. They are. Yeah, they are teaching us how to how to be better entrepreneurs. I would say. Well, given that you are very, you know, you are still early in this journey of creating this and finding, you know, the way to bring this larger. How do you go about not just defining, you know, not defining success for the company, which would be adoption, adopt, adaption. God, I just need more coffee. Um, (laughs) Adaption of your product in, you know, in the educational system, but more that what is going to be success for you as an entrepreneur? How are you looking at what that success is going to be? How do you define success for yourself as an entrepreneur? Uh, 
do you mean how um, in the long run, in the short term? Yeah, or? I mean, for you, right, I mean, we can go long term, but like right now, I know as an entrepreneur, I would make myself miserable because mm -hmm. I would say, okay, this is what we're going to do. And then, yeah, we kind of get up here and, you know, I would never get, sorry guys, I'm on a podcast and I'm doing hand gestures. Um, I would <laughs> set these really big goals and then, you know, work and kind of move the team and try and get everything. And we would, we would gain progress, but I would feel that we never hit the goals I set. So I'd be like, I didn't, didn't do it. And then yeah. I would step back over time or I had a coach eventually who said, okay, look back on this. Cause I was saying, I never, you know, every, I fail at all this. It's not working. Da, da, da. It's like, take a look at this. It's like, yeah, kind of have been doubling every year. You know, you wanted to triple. Yeah. And there's other mm -hmm. examples, you know, of that, but like, yes, you didn't do X, Y, Z, but you did X and Y, which is pretty, you know, it's like, that ability to look at what success is and to mm -hmm. kind of understand what it really means. So I was just, you know, what are you looking at right now to be success for your abilities as an entrepreneur? You know, we can talk about the company separate, but like for you, what are you kind of saying, you know what, this is good. I do this and this is, you know, yes. And once again, I'm, I'm, doing my thumbs up which basically yeah. <laughs> all right <laughs> so yes what how yeah. do you make sure that you are looking at what you're doing as an entrepreneur yes so i think personally when i when i look at success i want to look you know beyond financial growth um mm -hmm. because i always think if financials is the only thing that we're looking at, we actually had this discussion within the team a while ago. If we only look at the financial, um, you know, metrics, so why are we doing this? Why are we still not with our corporate jobs? Because yeah. that that's guaranteed, you know. There. Yeah, exactly. So, so what are we looking for here doing this? I mean, I think for me personally, it's just... You know, it's, it's an opportunity to really, uh, anything that I wasn't able to do previously in my, uh, previous, you know, in my previous roles, uh, and corporate and corporates and so on, like any, any bad pra practices that I experienced, like, okay, how do I get this right? How, how do I think, you know, do things better? Anything, you know, like related to customers, um, how, how do you, you know, how do you express this and how do you, um, how can you show the difference that you want to make? I think that's what I'm looking for. That difference. How do you, you know, uh, materialize this difference? So for example, as, as if we have teachers as customers, I do generally, I do want to see, uh, from their side, how, how are they able to make education better how 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 do they improve it and we want to be able to we do have like we are interestingly enough we're working with a couple of teachers where we're doing the research project we have a lot of data that we collect with our platform 
we're able actually we can dig into the data to see okay how do we you know gradually improve the skills of students uh, and teachers themselves can measure this i think for me this is this is the, i i um see this as a success you know when you see your customers improving things this is what i want to yeah. see more of and this is what i would like you know how i would like um our business to be shaped moving forwards really uh you know a, a a world where customers can clearly see how things are moving for the better yeah having that value generated i mean what's so interesting about that is the uh, you know so much of the traditional de definitions of success financial so how would generally occur in line with that value creation yeah which is, you know, by putting the value first, you know, you're creating something and yes, you have to have the infrastructure that, you know, revenue generated profits, you know, the operational delivery, all the things that are, yeah, the nuts and bolts. Yeah. But you craft it into that, you know, wow. And it's another getting, thing as well, like doing something that gets things better. Yeah. Go yeah and just to add to that as well, I think, we always, you know, equate um, the success of a business with a lot of, um, you know, a lot of stress, um, a lot of, um, you know, big egos most of the time, yeah. uh, a lot of arrogance uh, and so on. <laughs> yeah. I mean, for me, it's Not also like much. just, yeah, I, I just, you can be, you know, a very tough, you Tough person, yes, uh, but in a nice way. You, still, you can still be very humble and very, um, very humane, and that's that's very much also a little bit our approach. I mean, we know we know where we stand. We uh, we don't let any anything or anyone compromise what we believe in. But at the same time, for us, there is just no need to be that arrogance and very you know the typical behavior that you see in in the startup world like over inflated egos and things like that i think also changing that norm a little bit that's what i'm hoping because i do think well <laughs> as we're seeing with the whole twitter battle maybe in the top yeah. side the egos are still quite there and yeah the me first approach. Um, but I do think, you know, especially in the global startup scene, Silicon Valley maybe is still stuck in bro tech world because of, you know, it's worked before. So therefore let's keep doing it. But it does seem like you have a more focus or at least conversations I have, you know, with entrepreneurs like yourself and others, mm -hmm. you know, outside of those it's more about creating the concept that they find valuable to see in the world yeah. and then having thing usually with the prism of autonomy personal autonomy because you know large corporations sometimes don't treat talent that well and you know it's <laughs> not the most fun when you're a talented person and you're being driven for stuff there so 
entrepreneurism has that value. But even on top of that, oh, I can see something that I find important occur. And to do it right, you have to play it by the rules of actually generating business. Yeah. It's like, oh, wait, (laughs) I have to do all that stuff. Yeah. It is, it is a fun, you know, concept to be looking at. And it's cool that that definition is so important to you. Do you think though, going forward, let's say five, 10 years, you do become sort of this integrated into the upper educational system. And then because you've been training teachers through it, maybe they're starting to pull it down into, you know, to the junior god to the k-12 not the regular education but yeah the, but to the full the non-college sorry non-university educational systems wow i'm having a fun vocabulary day today folks um <laughs> but let's say the you know the you know the, te- the students who used you within the university setting then start filtering into the educational system at large you you know enlightened ed app you know you guys start expanding you know, you become sort of this change within the opportunity. What is your long-term success going to look like for you? Not, not the company, but like for you, what is, as an entrepreneur, what are you defining your long-term success as? Yeah, I think, I think long-term success, which is also obviously a little bit tied to the success of the business as well, uh, or the, the the vision that we are striving for is with what we're doing. It's it's really the, the the you know we are working towards essentially you know a paradigm shift in education. Uh, we we started with higher education to enable that. You know, this whole idea of preparing future generation of teachers with the with not only math skills, but also using, you know, getting very familiar with effective teaching, digital teaching tool, helping them those uh, building these digital skills. Like, how do you combine teaching methodology with um, t- uh, digital tooling? How do you actually, um, how can you use technology to, to multiply your efforts? Uh, because most likely, even if, if one thing that's going to be a reality is uh, the teacher shortage, even if, with more students graduating, teacher shortage will always be there as a problem. So how do you work with that effectively? How do you counter it with the, uh, with digital technology, so for us is is contributing to that needed paradigm shift. I think for us, or for me personally, that would be a success if I see that happening. If I see, yes. you know, like uh, the teachers actually at the moment, our um, impression is that teachers don't have that much confidence in technology. How can we change this? So if I see this happening, I consider that a success and I've done a great job as an entrepreneur. Very cool. Yeah, I think that would be, yeah, it, 
as a parent with children in the in various levels of the education system and soon to go off to university. Uh, so if I survive, um, <laughs> yeah, that would be one thing. But it would be great to see this because, you know, it's frustrating as a parent of, you know, curious, you know, all, you know, every parent thinks their kids are, you know, special and unique and amazing. Um, yeah. But as you know, parent who does, it does feel so frustrating that they're, the learning system, they're being forced to learn things that sometimes don't really flow into the real world. And they don't flow, you know, they're more of check boxes of what they educate, you know, of what you should know because that's what everyone has always learned versus, oh, this is what's happening. Here's the education. Yeah, here's what allows you to think about these types of changes. You know, the ability to think versus the ability to learn you know, right. is not as important. So I really do. I really, yeah. really, really hope to see you guys succeed <laughs> because it is. Yeah, but it's, really yeah, exactly. In the marketplace. It's also just creating, because right now it's very natural for teachers to work, you know, um, with a whiteboard, you know, putting the instructions mm -hmm. up there, just writing up, okay, kids, this is what you need to learn, pay attention. You know, as natural as that feels, it also should feel very natural to just put their instructions in a digital tool, like a, a real a digital tool that replicates replicates exactly their mode of instruction instructing really uh, and explaining a subject that they should feel comfortable with that and also the advantages of that is you know it once it's in a digital format it's there for anyone to use at any point over and over again there's a recycling um uh, aspect yeah. of it as well so there's there's all these bits that is just, it should be obvious for them. Teachers are not there yet. But I think like when this is normalized, it should just be obvious to them. I hope because, yeah, it, you're starting to see in some areas and definitely some of the online education, but it's so outside, yeah, it's so on the fringe, but it's starting. So I yeah. hope it goes further. I hope, like I said, you have great success just so, <laughs> just so <laughs> my children and other, you know, other listeners and everyone at large just has a better educational you know, experience in general. That would be great. Um, what's the best way if someone is curious about like what you're doing or, you know, interested in, you know, what's happening what's the best way for someone to reach you and where should they learn more about enlightened ed yeah that's very easy uh so we do have uh, we always encourage um half an hour demo session with um we are actually right now in the process of recording a lot of videos as well that we're going to post on on the website for anyone to view right now there are enough there's a lot of information on the website as well, some videos just to get an idea of what what the solution is doing. It's very straightforward. There are some sample exercises as well on the 
website for anyone to just click through it without without signing up or anything. Uh, it's very easy to click through and just test if you want to solve a math exercise and also just to see what it, what does it mean if you are a struggling student, if you don't know the solution, what kind of guidance do you get? Just to get this, uh, you really experience this is the kind of help that you get. You would get from a teacher. You get it uh, on the um, through this tool. Uh, so there's plenty of these possibilities. But if teachers want to uh, talk to us, uh, the easiest way is really there's a Calendly um, button that you just book half an hour with us. We'd be happy to help you out. I think that's where, where we always encourage teachers. I mean, it's hard to just from one media, from, from just uh, one interaction to see, okay, this is what we want. We always encourage, let's just talk, let's develop relationship and see how far we can go. So and it, it always helps with the, you know, that half an hour demo to start right, cool. with. So yeah, we'll put that in the show notes, everyone. We'll make sure you can, we'll find a link to the app. I mean, to the site, dot app. Sorry, <laughs> your site is dot app. I'm laying dead, dot app. Um, and then also to your calendar and also your LinkedIn. So if anyone wants to reach yeah. out to you personally, they can also. Well, Sartu, thank you so much for spending your afternoon, my morning. And <laughs> I, I can't wait to see what you guys do because this is so cool. You know, what you're trying to do. So thank you so much for coming on the show. Thank you very much, AJ. Pleasure. This episode of Beyond Eight Figures is over, but your journey as an entrepreneur continues. So if we can help you with anything, please just let us know. And if you like this episode, please share it with someone who might learn from it. Until next time, keep growing and find the joy in your journey. This is AJ, and I'll be talking to you soon. Bye-bye.